Would you stand, please? Teresa is going to come this morning and read to us as we continue in our study of the Kings. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilha. In everything he followed the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incenses there. Jehoshaphat was also at peace with the king of Israel. This is the word of the Lord from 1 Kings 22, 41 through 44. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to begin by asking you a question, and I would love it if you would be bold enough to answer by raising your hands, okay? How many of you have ever been through a cotillion class? Are you willing to admit it, okay? Raising, raising hands. It's, you don't, I'm not asking you if you danced at a cotillion class, okay? Just asking you if you... It's interesting, in the last service, we had only one hand that I could spot. It was one of our children. And, and I figured in this service there would be several more who have been through a cotillion class. I was a full-grown adult before I ever heard of a cotillion class. I had no idea what it was. And I learned as I was teaching in a school in Texas that, that still today, boys and girls, usually around their junior high years, are forced to go to these classes and to learn about Southern hospitality. So they're not only learning about, you know, traditional dance like the waltz, formal dancing, but they're learning things like table etiquette, which I would love for my kids to have a little more training in, by the way. Table etiquette and holding the door for someone who's, who's walking behind you, uh, looking someone in the eye when you talk to them, and, and giving a firm handshake. Along the way, though I never took a cotillion class, I certainly learned some of those things from people who invested in me. And one of those things that's really been a, a frustration for me during this whole COVID era has been the handshaking thing. Now, I know some of you don't miss shaking hands since we haven't been doing it as much, but my grandfather always taught me never to refuse a handshake unless I was trying to send a message to somebody. And so you've probably had, as I have, that awkward moment where, where you go to initiate a handshake and the person comes back with the fist bump and so you have that kind of, you know, that moment for a second, it's awkward. And COVID's been frustrating and it's changed even some of our social conventions. But things like cotillion classes or the way your parents raised you or your grandparents or the investment that was made in your life by a teacher or a coach. Those kinds of things are incredibly formative in our lives. And as much as we would like to think and believe that we are independent beings, individuals free from all of that, the truth is we are all products of the environments in which we were raised, the environments in which we were educated, we tend to think a lot at times like those who invested the most in us. And the older you get, you find yourself doing things where you say, I can't believe it. 
I do that too, just like my mom, just like my dad, just like somebody else. We are all products of those who invested in us. As we look into this period of the kings of Israel and Judah, we see certain patterns emerging, that they too were the products of their environment, and one generation had an incredible impact on the next generation. And you'll remember that we're at a period now in Israel's history where there is a divided kingdom. So we can say in the southern kingdom of Judah, once in a while we have some good kings. We have some good leaders who are godly, who are leading the people well, who seem to be completely committed to doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And in those seasons, even sometimes for multiple generations, you see people become a product of that kind of environment, and they too are following the Lord with their hearts. Up in the northern kingdom of Israel, on the other hand, read through the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You will not find one king of the northern kingdom who is called good. You will not find one king who does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Not only are the kings of Israel not pushing back against the darkness around them, they are full participants in it. And they are spreading evil and wickedness. And generation after generation comes and goes in the northern kingdom, and it seems like nobody is following God. But there are some bright spots in Judah. And this period has two of them in a row, Asa followed by his son Jehoshaphat, both of whom did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And through their leadership, their kingship, called people back to a faithfulness and a right relationship with God. And in the midst of it, also exemplified in their lives and character what, what godly leadership is supposed to look like. And these generations, therefore, became a product for at least a time of righteousness. And there was a difference to be seen in the land and in their culture because the people were following God. We might rightly say that as all of us are a product of the environment we were raised in, Jehoshaphat came from good stock. Today we're going to talk about Jehoshaphat's lineage, his leadership, and his legacy. And his lineage was one of good stock because his father Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. If you read in 1 Kings 15, here's how Asa was described. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes and all the idols his ancestors had made from the land. And listen to this sentence. Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. This was Jehoshaphat's father, and he too became a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He came from good stock, a good lineage, and the investment that had been made in his life by a godly father paid off. We're told that Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, which is actually kind of old in terms of of kings in the ancient world taking the throne and and might i just say that of all the kings that we study and talk about that jehoshaphat's name's the most fun to say right some of you grew up saying jump in jehoshaphat you might have gotten in trouble for that because when that when that first started to be a a phrase in american culture back in the 1800s it was like a a fake swear word it was like gee willikers right holy moly 
jumping Jehoshaphat. I can't help but think of Looney Tunes, Yosemite Sam, right? Jumping Jehoshaphat, he always used to say. That, that's the best Yosemite Sam impression I have for you. It's a fun name to say, but it's a name that has deep meaning. Jehoshaphat means God judges or God governs. His name, like his kingship, is a reminder that God does care about what happens here on earth. He, he does involve himself in our affairs here on earth, and, and he cares about the way we display his righteousness, his justice, his character to the rest of the nations around us. God governs, God is just. He cares about us, and he wants his people to care also. Jehoshaphat lived out the meaning of his name, and he started strong, planning to keep this lineage, this strong lineage he had received going. I love this passage from 2 Chronicles 17. As I've mentioned throughout this study, sometimes we have to go to 1 and 2 Chronicles to get a little more information than 1 and Kings will tell us. 2 Chronicles 17, we, we find the efforts that Jehoshaphat was going to to send out teachers into all the lands of Judah, teachers and prophets and Levites, with the word of the Lord, the book of the law, that they would teach others from place to place, city to city, village to village, about who God is, about how God loves, about what God expects from his people. And I love this picture of leadership that Jehoshaphat was not sending out his emissaries to raise his own stock to get glory for his name, to enhance his, his kingdom or his territory or to amass more wealth or power. Jehoshaphat was sending out his emissaries that people would know more about God, that they would engage more personally in a relationship with God, and, and it made an impact. Not only did it make an impact in the lands of Judah that the people were turning from their idols and they began to, to seek God more with their heart, but it also made an impact in lands outside of Judah, where we're told in, in verse 10, a, a fear of the Lord spread among people like the Philistines and the Arabs, because they too were hearing this message, this teaching about God, the God of Israel, and they laid aside their plans to come and attack Judah to fight them because they didn't want to mess with this great, mighty, powerful God, the, the God who created the world and everything in it, like we heard in the book of Acts this morning. And the message of who God is, how God loves, what God does was spreading to the nations. Jehoshaphat came from a strong lineage. And his name is not only a reminder that God cares about what we do here on earth, and his leadership is not only a reminder of God's involvement in our lives, but this lineage he has is also a reminder that God imprints his name on his people. Those people who are called by his name have, have his name imprinted on their lives. And coming along with that is the responsibility that in whatever age we live in, whatever darkness exists in the world around us, that as his people, with his name imprinted on us, we would go into those places and we would be light wherever we go. There's a beautiful passage in the Gospel of John that talks about our lineage 
as the people of God in Jesus Christ. That it was Jesus who was the true light, who gives light to the world, to everyone in it, who was coming into the world. And as he came into the world, though he had created everything in it, he chose to put on flesh and come dwell among us, be one of us. But even among his own people, he was not received. They did not receive him, even though he made them, even though they were supposed to be called by his name. They did not welcome or receive him. But to all who did, and those of us who belong to Jesus Christ, who are disciples today, who are following him, this is us. To those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be what? Children of God. Children not who come from some sort of a, a human descent. Children who are not made that because of human decision or a husband's will, but are born again. Born of God, imprinted with his name because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Just as Jehoshaphat modeled and people began to catch on to again, God imprints his name on us in Jesus Christ. And it is a lineage of faith that comes to characterize who we are as people, but also who we are as families and who we are as a family and God and, and, and who the people that, that we've been given responsibility to influence, who they become in light of those formative experiences they have with us because God's name is imprinted on us. Watching the Olympics, it, it always amazes me to see just how much people are capable of all, from all over the world when they get to the top of their game and compete at that level. And I think about the lifetime of training and investment that has to go into an athlete of that caliber that they would someday be able to perform on that level. And I think about in our own culture how we do the same thing. We, we want to see our kids be the best at whatever it is they do. We too will invest countless amounts of hours money travel long distances so that they can compete at the highest levels in sports in music in dance whatever it might be but what would it look like if that kind of investment was made into their spiritual lives what would our our culture look like but but even more so what would our churches look like if we were willing to put that kind of investment into the spirituality of our children or those with for whom we've been given responsibility to develop them, to disciple them, so that they would be able to perform at the top of their game, not for themselves, but for the kingdom of God. Our lineage, our legacy, what we pass on, that kind of energy put into discipleship, bringing them upright, spiritual development. What a lineage we would have indeed. So Jehoshaphat had... A great lineage, he came from great stock, but he also demonstrated great leadership. Again, we have to put together the, the book of 1 Kings and also 2 Chronicles to get all of these details. But Jehoshaphat had several accomplishments during his kingship. First and foremost, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Just as his father Asa had done, he did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He went and tore down the altars to Baal, the Asherah poles, the high places that, as his father was aging, had been rebuilt. 
He rid the land of the male shrine prostitutes that Asa had run off, but had come back. He maintained peace with the kingdom of Israel, which is not a small thing. This is a rare time where the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, they get along for a couple of years. He had military victories. He fortified many parts of Judah against their enemies. And in ways similar to Solomon, God gave him great honor and great wealth. But what really stands out about Jehoshaphat's leadership is his godly character. And the ways that he would seek the Lord first, even in the most difficult of circumstances. I want to give you a few snapshots of this from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And this is an incident that happens when those nations, you remember for a while, the nations around them said, we, we're afraid of the God of Israel and all the things we hear about him, so, so we're not going to try to wage war against the people of Judah. Well, after a few years, several of those nations said, well, we might not be able to attack them one at a time, but if we all come together, maybe we could take them down. So Jehoshaphat gets word that the nations around them are conspiring to wage war. And there are these snapshots from 2 Chronicles 20 that give us a picture, yes, of Jehoshaphat's godly leadership, but also there are some great words in these texts that I hope will be meaningful for you today. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. Right up front, as Jehoshaphat hears that these nations are coming out to wage war against them, he prays, God, will, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. I love this. But our eyes are on you. I don't know how many of us have felt that way for the last 18 months or so, but I certainly have. Lord, there are many times where we do not know what to do. But may our eyes be on you, whatever we face. Jehoshaphat, I don't have any power to hold off this vast army. I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So next, a, a prophet of God comes to Jehoshaphat. And he reminds him, the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Again, great words if you feel like you're facing a vast army in front of you, maybe you feel like that now. Maybe you look to the future and you think, I, I know that, that, that I may be coming against something big. Or maybe you look back in the past and you remember the, way, the ways that God has walked you through difficult, hard battles then. And, and you say, the battle belongs to the Lord. It is not mine. The prophet continues, so you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Sounds a lot like the book of Joshua here. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And I love what Jehoshaphat does next. You'd think after this word from the prophet, he'd be so fired up that he'd give a pep talk to his army. They'd start the rallying cry. They'd start doing all of their military chants, ready to go into fight. But instead, what Jehoshaphat does is he calls the musicians. He calls the Levites, the singers, the musicians. He says, I want you in the front of the line. And it's going to be the musicians who are going to lead the way, praying and singing, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And with those words... God's people went 
to victory. Jehoshaphat demonstrated great leadership. And as I think about them, these different things that we've seen, remembering him as a good king overall, I, I think we remember him that way because he wasn't perfect, but because he turned to the Lord first. He would say to God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. He would believe the promise. The battle is not yours, but it is God's. And whatever they faced, come what may, Jehoshaphat would say and pray and lead the people to sing, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. That's the kind of leader that I want to follow. I, I want to follow someone who's not faking it. Someone who doesn't invoke God's name only when it's convenient, only when it's good to, to hijack support, only when it, it raises the approval rating or, or it, it adds some level of personal gain, whatever it might be. I, I want to follow that kind of leader, and I want to be that kind of leader. God has to keep me in check about this, these things all the time. As a father, as a pastor, and by the way, this is not only the church I pastor and the church in which I work, but it's also my workplace. And I have colleagues and fellow ministers. I, I want to be that kind of leader for them. I want to be that kind of godly man wherever the Lord sends me. I want to be the kind of person who seeks the Lord first and whose relationship with God is evident in what I say, in my attitudes, in my actions. And in my very life and just like you probably feel there are times when when I do that better than others but this is the kind of person I want to be this is the kind of leader I want to follow and when Jehoshaphat sought the Lord exclusively things went well but when he did not there were some things that came up short and there were a few things that did not end well and so as we move to Jehoshaphat's legacy, it's a mixed legacy. It is mostly good. Actually, it's mostly really good. But there are some areas where he came up short. And going back to our, our main scripture reading, we see this, what could be seen as just a little footnote in the middle of verse 43, is really important to understand his legacy. The high places, however were not removed and the people continued to offer sacrifices and to burn incense there have you ever set your mind to cleaning out a room but when you got near the end you just ended up shoving everything that was left in a closet or in a drawer done that before have you ever set out to read a book but you only got about three-fourths of the way through and you never finished or maybe it was your your bible reading for a year you set that goal to read through a big part of the Bible, maybe the whole Bible in a year, but by, you know, February or March, weren't doing so well. I'll really step on your toes now. Have you ever committed to a diet? And you think to yourself, boy, two out of the three meals of the day I do really well, but that third meal is tough. It's hard to keep everything in our lives perfectly in balance all the time. It's hard to always be successful at home and at work, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, all at the same time. It's hard to, to be exceeding expectations in our jobs and in everything else and, and also being 
being healthy physically, it's hard to keep everything in balance. Maybe this example works best for Jehoshaphat. He's kind of like a parent who was really consistent and diligent with his first few children. But with that last one, he got a little lax. He got a little bit lazy. He didn't pay as close attention. And the high places that he had removed, that he had forbade the people from going to to worship, he had torn down the altars, the idols, the Asherah poles, he'd removed it all. But the high places themselves were still left in place. And just like our own idols, the idols that we all have in our lives are always a temptation for us. The idolatry of God's people in the days of Jehoshaphat was still a temptation. And so the people went back to the high places. It was as if by not just tearing down those places completely, Jehoshaphat had left a little crack open in the door that that idolatry could return, and, and it did. The people went back to the high places just like they had done during the days of his father Asa. They rebuilt the altars. They put the poles back in the ground. They began praying to the false and dead gods of the nations and committing idolatry again. Jehoshaphat had a strong lineage, demonstrated very strong leadership, but in a few areas he did not follow through, and he wasn't diligent enough. It wasn't just the high places, but also we read later on in 2 Chronicles that Jehoshaphat got a little bit too friendly with the kings of the northern kingdom. It was one thing to be at peace with Ahab and later his son Ahaziah, two kings who were as evil as they come. It was another thing to be so friendly with them that in some ways you were empowering, enabling them to succeed in the things they were doing. There's a great story in 2 Chronicles 20 at the end where Jehoshaphat makes an alliance with Ahaziah who was Ahab's son and they construct a fleet of trading ships and God says, I've had enough. We are not going to help the northern kingdom with amassing more goods and money and God sinks those ships, makes them absolutely unable to be used. Jehoshaphat did great things but he fell short in some areas reminds me of a quote that it said oliver cromwell way back in the 1600s britain had written inside his pocket bible it's a latin phrase that's been used throughout history qui sought esse melior sought esse bonus he who ceases to be better ceases to be good you see this momentum from asa to jehoshaphat and that momentum is carrying forward and it's strong but at some point along the way jehoshaphat stops paying attention he stops being diligent and it's as we like to say if you're not moving forward you're actually moving back if you're not improving you may just be in decline and all of that momentum all of that lineage and leadership that was building this legacy it ended with sort of a mixed bag. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his life. But in a few areas, he came up short. He was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. And then we're told that Jehoram, his son, succeeded him as king. So as we close today, I want to close where we began. 
the idea that what's passed down to us from family, teachers, whoever it is that invests in us is incredibly formative, and we're all products of it. What happens in the next generation, Asa was a godly king. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. But Jehoram is going to come after, and, and rather than carrying forward that momentum that Asa had invested in, Jehoshaphat had taken up, Jehoram's going to carry on where Jehoshaphat had fallen short. He is going to become a, a king who does evil in the eyes of the Lord. He's not only going to allow the worship of idols, he's going to participate in it. And we'll see that Jehoram follows in the footsteps of Ahab, who was not the king of Judah, he was the king of Israel. But Jehoram marries a daughter of Ahab, whose name is Athaliah, and we're going to see her next week. And she runs a close second to Jezebel for the title, Evilest Woman of the Ancient World. Okay? She is not a godly woman. And this lineage, this legacy that ends up being passed down into the next generation, all that momentum is gone. So Jehoshaphat's legacy is a mixed one. Came from good stock, strong lineage. His leadership was solid for most of his life but he stumbled a bit at the end. And in doing so, there were some consequences, and things took a turn for the worse. Which leads me to ask a couple of questions to us as we prepare for our time of invitation in just a moment. Where is your course, the course of your life, headed? What, what will your legacy be? And what will those people look like who you've been given responsibility for in your family, in your workplace, in all those places that the Lord sends you? What will that legacy look like? And where is the course of your life headed? Those people that God has charged you with during this very formative time in their lives, who will ultimately become products of the investment that you and I are making in them. What does that course look like and what do they see? Do they see in us? Do they see in me? Do they see in you? People who have God's name imprinted on us. Who believe that it is our responsibility wherever we go to be a light in the darkness around us. Do they see us as people who bear God's name sent out on his behalf? That wherever we go, it, it is our goal, it is our ambition to represent him well. That when people see us and our character, they would see our Heavenly Father. They would see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning in our 830 time, we had a, a child in this baptistry who said, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Does the course of your life reflect that confession? Especially if you've made that confession in the past. Does the course of your life represent that Jesus is indeed your King? That you are a light in darkness because of the true light that gives light to everyone who has come into the world. God's name is imprinted on you. You are his son. You are his daughter. You have been given the right to be called a child of God. Not because of a human decision. Not because you were born that way and not because you earned it. But because God said if you receive Jesus Christ and believe in his name 
you are a child of God. This morning, if you have never experienced what it means to be born again, if you've never had that new birth that, that brings you into the family of God, this invitation, this time of response we're about to have is a call for you to do that. It's a call for you to say today to the Lord, yes, I have sinned. I have done evil in your sight. I have been living for myself. But today I want to confess that to you. I want to turn away from that sin and go in the other direction. And I want to say you are my king, the king of my heart, the king of my life. And from this day forward, I'm your child. Today this opportunity is here for you to do that. But it's also an opportunity for those of us who, who have done that. That we would renew and reaffirm our commitment today that as children of God, with his name imprinted on us, we will walk out of here as light into all the dark places that he sends us.